I, I thought it would be fun to start another sermon with some random questions about nativity. And so I'm going to start on this side this time. When it comes to the birth of Christ, what time of day was Jesus born? Any idea? They've learned from last time, right? They're like, oh, we're not going to say anything because we don't want to be embarrassed, right? The, scripture, the scriptures actually never tell us whether it was morning, afternoon, evening. The only information we have is encapsulated with this simple phrase. When they, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her birth. Excuse me, the time came for her to give birth, which kind of also undermines that picture, at least that I always had growing up, that like Mary's in labor and Joseph's running around banging on doors trying to find a place. You don't necessarily see that they were already there while they were there. Why do we think it happened in the evening? I think because often we connect the appearance of the angels to the shepherds in the fields at night, keeping watch over their flock, which I want to point out, I think God in his loving providential grace did not have some strange shepherds show up while Mary's in labor. And if they did, Joseph seems to be a pretty godly man would be like, sorry, you need to wait outside. Stuff's going on. And then likely invite them in later. And while we're here, one of my favorite things is we were just talking about this with my family a couple weeks ago. Where did the angels appear to the shepherds? No one wants to answer anymore. <laughs> right? And we were talking about this because one of my child, child, I can't even speak today. I apologize. One of, my, one of my boys says to me, well, the angels appeared in the heavens, right, or appeared in the sky to, to the shepherds. But if you read the text, it doesn't say any of that. It just says an angel appeared. And other times when angels appear, there's no hint that they're floating around anywhere. Right? You can even go back to the, the Old Testament. They seem to walk down roads just like normal other people do. And so these angels appear also want to point out there's no mention of wings. At least not for all angels. Some angels do have wings, but uh, did, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find Joanna. Did we post those pictures? You usually sit over here. I know you're somewhere over here. Maybe she's not. Oh, they're serving. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> so I don't know. We, we, the elders got together and the, the male elders... We're, we're, we're working using our skills of carpentry and, and, and weaponry to form an angel out of some supplies. And then our wives did crafty stuff and made something that looked delicate, I would say. <laughs> I don't know what the angels look like, but we do not have a description of all of the details that we often connect with them. One thing we do know about is the tabernacle. And one thing I hope as we move through this tabernacle series, that as we address specific pieces or, or, or furniture, if you will, in the tabernacle, that God will be already working and moving in us to set us to look past these things to something that is far greater and better, mainly Christ Jesus. So with that, I want us to look this, this morning at what's called the lampstand. And do we have those pictures of the tabernacle? Can we bring those up, this first one? No, we don't. I'm always gonna look over my shoulder again and see if it pops up later. Okay. So if you were to come into the tabernacle... And it's hard because sometimes when, when the scripture talks about the tabernacle, it's talking about the whole thing, right? You'd have this wall of, of material, this squared off area, 
I guess it's a rectangle technically. You'd walk into the outer courts. And last Sunday we were talking about the brazen altar, this bronze altar that stood right in the middle of the outer courts. And then as you continued to journey, you would go past that altar. There would be some other things. But, the, but always in your mind would be this tent, right? Sometimes that's called the tabernacle as well, that, that specific tent or the tent of meeting. And so this morning we're going to enter into that area and we're going to look at the lampstand which would have stood inside what's called the holy place or the outer court of the tabernacle. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to flip over to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. 31 through 40 will be our verses. We read these words as God is giving instruction to Moses. He says this, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. And the lampstand shall be made of hammered works, its base, its stems, its cups, its calyx, its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out its side, three branches of the lampstand out one side of it, three branches of the lampstand out the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and the flower and on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with the calyx and the flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with its calyxes and flowers, and the calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all of these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask as we come to this text, Lord, that you would help us to see that all of Scripture points to Christ. That all of Scripture gives us a, a glimpse or an understanding or, or a bit of more knowledge of who you are and how you work. So even as we come to passage that seems to have almost nothing to do with us modern day followers of a risen savior that we would be reminded of why we celebrate Christmas as we look at a lampstand we pray this in Jesus name amen what we have before us this morning is not a candelabra it's a lampstand there's a difference, right? There wasn't these wax kind of candle things stuck into this stand. It was oil burning lamps. Now, it could have been that these lamps were separate from this lampstand or that they were somehow, most people believe they were kind of built into the top parts of it and the, the, the priests who would have the job would fill this with oil and, and trim the, the wicks and all so that they would go. That's what we have. We have a lampstand. And, and like I said, if you were to enter into what's called the holy place, right, the outer court inside the tabernacle tent, there would be three pieces of furniture. That's it. So if you were to walk in and keep walking, in front of you would be the altar of incense, uh, kind of on the back wall or right before the veil. Ooh, we got our pictures up. Uh, see? Did it go away? Yay! Right, So if you could see here, you would walk into this, and as you would walk straight across, it would be that little box, that's the altar of incense. To your right would be the table of showbread. You can't really see, it's kind of cut off there. Right, And on there, there would be some 12 loaves of bread. And to your left, directly across from the showbread, would be this menorah. 
this seven branched light. It's the only light in the entire tabernacle. There weren't other lamps. And when God gives the instructions on how to build this menorah, he says, you're going to fabricate it out of a talent of gold. A talent of gold is about 75 pounds. So the cost of this lampstand at today's prices for gold would make the menorah or the lampstand about two and a quarter million dollars. Here's the thing that I always just think is amazing, a little side thing here. Where did the gold come from to build the menorah? The Egyptians. They gave the Israelites gold. Get out, leave here, take this with you. Something that I think is interesting is that the lampstand has all these details about how the branches come and how it should be shaped and the hammered details and all these other things. But everything else in the tabernacle is given a dimension. The tabernacle should be this by this. The altar should be this long by this high by this. this. There's no measurement given for the menorah. It's made of precious gold. It likely it was melted down, poured into kind of like a rough form. When the metal would cool, they would hammer these details, these, these uh, flowered details into the body. We read later on in Exodus 27, verse 21, that Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, right? So the high priest and his line, there were other priests, but there's the high priest and his line, they were to attend to this lampstand morning to evening. All day long, it was to burn. The lampstand has become one of the primary symbols of the Jewish nation or the Jewish people, right? If you think today, you probably think the Star of David and then the lampstand. I do also want to point out the lampstand in the tabernacle is not the same as a Hanukkah lampstand. Which, by the way, happy Hanukkah, if you know that that's happening right now. It's different. This has seven lamps. A Hanukkah menorah has eight. If you were to go to Rome today, and we have a picture of this. If you were to get on a plane, fly to Rome, you can go to the Arch of Titus, and it contains a relief. Do we have a picture of that relief? I guess I should check with them before I come up here to see if we have these things. I was going to point it out because it's a pretty cool picture to help you to see that. But you would find that you would, in this relief, there are these Roman soldiers on their shoulder. They are carrying a menorah. Why? Because when Caesar or Emperor Titus was, was reigning, he comes, he attacks Jerusalem. He eventually sacks the city and the temple. And if you have something that is solid gold worth you know, two and a quarter million dollars today, surely it was worth a lot of money then, you're gonna take that back with you. And so this relief shows the Romans carrying off the spoils of the temple back to Rome. God gives a lot of details for a light. Arms and branches and each branch should have so many of this and it should look like this and and, and, and as you think about it, I know it's kind of stylized, but what's being described here in some ways is, is like a tree. It has branches. It's kind of like a stylized Middle Eastern tree. If you were to go look at some ancient drawings of trees, the pattern often isn't too far different from what we think of when we think of a lampstand or the menorah that was in there. Why would God want a tree in the holy place. Trees are symbols of life. Trees are symbols of prosperity. Trees are symbols of productivity. And so this menorah in the holy place would be a reminder to the people, especially the, the priests who would come in and out regularly, that it is life-giving to come before the Lord. That blessings, prosperity, these things come from God. He is the one who gives all good things. But I think it's also a reminder of the 
of a specific tree. You guys remember way back at the very beginning of scripture, God puts the, the first man and woman in a garden and when they fall, he moves them out of the garden. Why? So that they don't eat of a specific tree, a tree of life. I believe in some ways God has this thing formed like a tree, put here in the holy place to start reminding people, if you want life, it's not found out there, it's found as you draw near to me. Life is found through God. Eternal life is found through God. This lampstand has six branches which grow out of the center branch, seven. Now while I'm not a numerical person who tries to read into every number. If you go find some research, you could find out that six is actually, in the Jewish uh, faith, is the sign, or if you will, the number of man, right? Man was created on the sixth day. That's your number. We are six. Seven is the day of completion, or the day of wholeness, or perfection. So it's interesting that you have six Growing out of one, which makes seven. The lampstand is giving perfect light. And it stands in a room with a specific job to shine across the way to the table of the showbread. Why is this important? The table of showbread was a gold table. And once a week, they would lay out loaves of bread. How many loaves? 12 loaves, and they were either laid out kind of like slanted, like if you go into like a bakery and the cookies, you know, they kind of line them up all nice. Maybe I'm the only one who looks at the cookies at the bakery, right? They make it all look pretty, or they could have been stacked on top of each other as well is another way it could have been done. Two rows or two piles, six loaves each. There are 12 tribes. This is to show or symbolize God's people. Isn't it interesting that God has a lamp shining light upon something that's symbolic of his people? The only source of light which burns continuously is intentionally placed to illuminate a table which symbolically represents the people of God. I wonder what God is trying to show us. Please don't forget that throughout scripture, God, Yahweh, is described as light. David writes in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In Proverbs 6, 23, we are told that the Lord's commandments and his teachings are light. We're told to forsake walking in the paths of darkness, but instead to walk in the path of light. The light of God comes into a dark world and brings illumination. God's people are those who come under the light of the Lord God. So again, just want to sum up what we have here. We have a costly, not plated, but solid gold piece of furniture with seven branches shining perfect and complete light formed like a tree to remind us of eternity, illuminating the people of God. And all of this is happening in the holy place, which would be completely dark. You would not be able to find your way from the entrance past the veil that stands before you into the holy presence of God apart from the light illuminating this room. It's almost as if without this light, you would be in utter darkness. So how does a lampstand help us celebrate Christmas? Because it points us to something better. It points us to a greater lampstand. Something that is far superior, that shines light far greater than that lamp can do. While this lamp might have been a, a good size and would be pretty impressive to look at, and as it's radiating its light, it would reflect off of the gold facade or, 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 or exterior of it. It'd be pretty impressive, but a superior light has come. Church, Jesus is the greater lampstand. you have a Bible, flip over to John's gospel, John chapter one. 
John doesn't describe the advent, the coming of Jesus, the same way Matthew and Luke do. I'm not including Mark because Mark doesn't even talk about the birth of Christ. He just kind of jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. And I've had people say to me, well, John doesn't talk about the birth of Christ. And I want to say, ooh, you're missing it because it's there. But as we, as we read through this, just, just as I read through this text, I want you to, maybe in your head, just count but, or just, just consider how often the word light is used. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about, not Jesus, but the light, it says there. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Almost like it was radiating, right? Glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It's interesting, too, that in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, right as Jesus is starting his ministry in that gospel, we read that the words of the prophet are fulfilled, meaning the words of the prophet Isaiah are fulfilled. And then Matthew quotes these things. The people dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, of them light has dawned. It's all talking about Jesus. Jumping back to John, chapter 3, if you, again, if you have a Bible, flip over there. Take a look here at verses 19 to 21. John, chapter 3, 19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, or in the light. Friends, Jesus is a far greater lampstand, because he doesn't just light a small little space. He also doesn't just light 12 loaves of bread. He lights all the people of God from every tribe and tongue and nation because he is the light of all people. He is more precious than the most pure, refined gold. He is perfection manifest. He is the very light of God who illuminates the darkest resources, excuse me, recesses of our heart. We don't like the light because it shows sin. Have you ever walked into a messy room that has no lights on? You don't know it's messy. Right? Why when you tell someone to clean their room and they're really small, they think I will hide it. 
will shove it under my bed or I will throw it in a closet because you can't see it. But as soon as the light shines upon it, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to go. You can't deny it anymore. It's a mess. It needs to be picked up. Something needs to be done here. There's a, there's a problem. But those who see the goodness of what this light carries have no problem walking into it because they say, show me my ways so that I may walk in truth and light instead of continuing in this sin and mess. There's a far greater lampstand than this one in a tabernacle. Brothers, sisters, the light and the life of God is only found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. There's no other way except to be guided by God's light whose name is Jesus. The perfect life of Christ illuminates our sin and failure, right? This is the start of the gospel. We see the glory of God through Christ Jesus, and as we draw near to Christ, what does he do? His light of grace and love and mercy shine upon our life and reveal our sin. And so we come to him seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, seeking to be made new so that we would cower and hide just in the shadows, but so that we would live more and more in the fullness of the light of his glory and grace. This is why Jesus is far greater than a lampstand and a tabernacle, because this light can actually do something. It can change you. It can make you different. It could give you a new identity. You're not who you once were, but when you walk into this light, you now have a new name, son of the living God. That's a far greater lampstand than something that's worth two and a quarter million dollars. He shows light in such glorious ways. He illuminates the ways of righteousness. If we would just set our eyes on Christ, it's really hard to fall off the path of righteousness. It's when we start looking and trying to see what's in the shadows that we run into danger. Friends, Jesus is the light and he points us to eternal life like a tree in a garden that our first parents were pushed out from through Christ you receive eternal life. In the description of the menorah, I didn't touch upon this earlier because I wanted to bring it up here. There's this repeated instruction that, that they were to hammer in these patterns, these caliphists, these, these, these uh, blossoms that were to look like almonds. And, and I, I just thought that was weird. Am I the only one? Like, why a blossom here, this many blossoms here, and this many this here. What, what are you doing? There was a while where, where my family lived in the Central Valley of California. And if you were to ask anybody in our family what it's like to live there, we would say we were surrounded by dairy farms and almond orchards. You might not know this, but in February, right, when, when us here in Midland are enjoying the, the gray and the cold of winter, Praying for sunlight to peek through. In February, in the Central Valley of California, the fields are ablaze in white blossoms. They are the first signs of life. You could say they are the, the first fruits or the first hope of, of, of we're going to be satisfied. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be plentiful for all the folks. Let me put a little piece here for us who, who live here or us who just moved up to this area. The Central Valley really isn't all what it's cracked up to be. So don't be like, oh, if I could just live in the Central Valley. If you have a Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
the lampstand has all these images of almonds because the reality is if you, again, if you were to get on a plane and you were to fly to Israel, you would find that the first tree to flower, the first tree to blossom, the first tree to bear fruit in Israel, even today, is the almond tree. And so we come here to, to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul writes these words about Jesus. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man, speaking of Adam there, by Adam came death, by a man, right, speaking of Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So you have a lamp covered in images about a tree that's the first one to produce fruit, that gives light, that shows and shines and illuminates God's glory upon the bread or upon the people of God. And then we have Christ being called the first fruits, the first thing that, that is produced from the grave, the hope of resurrection, the hope of eternal life, the hope of glory before God forever and ever. And that is what we desire and we see in Christ. It's coming. We celebrate Christmas because the most holy one, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, has come to be the light of the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because God has shown himself through Christ so that we can see him and draw near to him and be with God. Not with our loved ones in heaven. They're, yeah, they're a nice benefit, but it's to be with God. Some of us are dreading some of our loved ones coming in a couple weeks. Don't worry, they'll be perfect in heaven. But guess what? You're still not going to be amazed by that. You're going to be amazed because you will enter into the full glory of God and you will find satisfaction that you can't even imagine now. Praise God for the first fruits of Christ Jesus. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We're made new because we've come into the light, we receive blessings. When we stand under that light, we should celebrate. But we should also fulfill the calling God has given us. Church, if you have come to see the goodness of the light of Christ Jesus, you have been called to be a light as well. You've been called to be a light into all the world. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says these words to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's your job, church. These are the words of Jesus for us redeemed people. We have not just come into the light, but the light has become part of us, right? We, we have Christ in us, and so we go taking the kingdom out into the dark places of the world. How do we do that? The Apostle Peter writes that we are to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Talk about Christ. Church, we do it in deeds as well. Right after those words, Peter writes in his first letter that we are commanded to abstain from fleshly and sinful passions which are waging war against us. We are also instructed to keep our, our conduct honorable. 
Proclaim and live like you know the light. If your pursuits and your passions in your life mirror the dark world, you shine no light. Have you ever looked at yourself in a mirror when there is no light? What do you see? Darkness. So are we reflecting darkness or are we reflecting light? And if we, the body, can gather together, we can be like a lighthouse. If you climb up those stairs of, I haven't been to too many lighthouses here in Michigan yet, but if you climb up the stairs and you come to a lighthouse, you'll find it's not just light, there's mirrors. And they all are, are working to, to bend and to, and to push and to direct light, not inward, but outward. So that the people in the water are aware that there's danger. And those people might be your family, they might be coworkers, they might be friends, they might be the stranger who you're chit chatting with as you're trying to return something at Costco. They might be the guy who cuts you off on the road in front of you instead of shining something else at him. Shine the light of God. We have to do this. And the only way we can do it is by being diligent with our own lives. Are we trimming the wick of our life? Are we preparing our life by filling us with oil? I never understood why people trim wicks on a candle. And I never cared enough to look it up. But I found out that actually if a wick is too long, it doesn't burn as bright. And it actually starts to, to produce more carbon and doesn't, it's, it's not a clean burn. Which made me want to grab scissors and trim every wick in the house that I have. Find every candle and be like, oh, we got to make this better, right? We got to do this. But we're called to do the same with our life. Church, are you being diligent to, to trim the wick of your life? How do we do that? Well, we look at scripture and, and we, we weigh it to our life. Are you filling your life with the empowerment of the fuel of the Holy Spirit? How do you do that? Well, pray. Maybe slow down and give the Spirit the time to, to guide you. You're spending so, time, so much time chasing after or running after or filling your schedule with so much things. You haven't even been still enough to even hear or feel or know the leading of the Lord through the Spirit in your life. It's the Spirit of God that is a promised gift to you. Jesus says he will teach you all the things that I have taught you. He will bring to remembrance. He will help you to remember all that I have said to you. How can we be a light in the world? How can we today, we can get up today, right now, how can we better radiate the light of Christ into a dark world? One way is super easy, and I think we forget it because it's, we swim in this water every day. Admit that we live in darkness. Admit that we live in a world that's broken. My favorite thing to do, not my favorite, one of my most favorite things to do is when people will say, you know, all of us are good, right away I say, no we're not. It's one of my favorite things to say. My little angel is so innocent and sweet, no she isn't. She is a sinner. With a smile so they know I love them. We live in a broken world. I think so often we're so in love with the world that we're not willing to admit that there's things wrong with it. We need to admit it. What else can we do? Stop candy coating the reality. I think often when, when we have a friend or ourselves, when we're, when we're dealing with trials or tribulation, we want to be told everything's going to be great right now. Just, just keep pushing through because you'll be healed or keep pushing through. You'll get that promotion someday. Why do we do that? Because we are not promised anything in this life besides death. 
Instead, let's be realistic and say, I think you're setting your sights too low. Your hope is actually here in eternity when all things will be made new. When we won't live in a broken world because this one will be rolled up and cast aside and a new and better one will come. Let's be realistic about where we live. Christian, wherever you go, you carry the light of Jesus and the darkness has not overcome by the, excuse me, and the darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness will not win. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the light that you carry. Proclaim it. Talk about it. When I was younger, we used to have this thing where, I don't know if it still happens, there were these holiday wars. Do you remember this? You're my age. You'd go to a store and someone would say, season's greetings. And the holiday war would be like, it's Merry Christmas. In the most merriest of ways, right? (laughs) Which I was like, I don't even get it. It's not very merry as it's coming out of your mouth. And if we're just saying Merry Christmas to someone, how does that point them to light? They don't know what Christmas is, many people. Or some people got into it. They were a little better. Instead of saying Merry Christmas, they would say, you know, someone would say, season's greetings. And they would say, he's the reason for the season. If they don't know who Jesus is, you're crazy. Because they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Church, we carry the light. So whether someone says season's greetings to you or doesn't say anything at all, or maybe the woman checking you out is just having a terrible day because it's Christmas time and people are super friendly when they buy stuff during the Christmas season, maybe we can actually show light and say, hey, I know today was a rough day. Thanks for ringing me up. I'll be praying that you have a better day. Or maybe share the gospel. We carry the light because we serve the one who is a far greater lampstand. Let us celebrate Christmas because there is a better light. Let us celebrate Christmas because there is a better lampstand and he has pierced the darkness and his light has shone upon us and we saw our sin and we are grateful for that penetrating light because we can lay it down and they can be removed and we can be made new and we want other people to know the goodness of the light of Christ Jesus so we're going to bring it wherever we go. Let's not shirk our responsibilities here. Let's be the light so that others may know the joy of Christmas because the light has come. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us, Lord, when we chase after other things thinking that they'll somehow bring what we need. Lord, let us see your light through Christ Jesus, that in him we see you. Lord, let us grasp firmly to the hope which isn't of this world, but of the one who dwells in an unapproachable light because he is light. Let us rest in the reality that that light has done a mighty thing. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we would better radiate out into the lost and dark world the light and the hope of Christ Jesus. And I pray this in his name. May his glory be shining forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. It's amazing how all of Scripture fits together in one massive single story and to learn things like, for me, I don't remember hearing about 
almond or in honor of my father-in-law, almond blossoms being the first fruits. He was an almond farmer in California, my father-in-law was. But the first fruits. Uh, and then all these images of light throughout scripture where God is light, Jesus is light, that lampstand represents God shining on Israel. These are just amazing things that paint a picture that clearly says God knew what he was doing. God knows what he is doing. And if we are in Christ, that means we are in the light. So as we sing this next song, which is called Light of the World, you'll notice the lyrics. We sing to God sometimes, and sometimes we sing to each other to remind ourselves of parts of this, this masterful story that God has written in his universe that he's created. So please stand and join us as we sing to each other and to the light of the world.
before I send you out with some words, just some brief announcements. If, if you feel like you need to, to pray, if, if you're struggling with some dark things in your life and, and you're struggling to see how the light of Christ can shine into that, I wanna encourage you to come up here at the front after I send uh, close us in prayer. The elders, some care teams, pastors will be here. We wanna pray with you. We wanna talk with you. We wanna, we wanna help you to, to see who Christ is and the hope that can be found there. So I wanna invite you to do that. Also, if you guys are in this section over here, you have the privilege of, of helping us stack some chairs and just also a friendly reminder, once the chairs are stacked, if you wanna help us roll those into the, the closet back there, we would appreciate that. Um, and then also if, you, if the chairs are stacked and if, if you wouldn't mind fellowshipping off to the side here, come join these folks as well. I know they're not the north end but you can hang out with them too. Um, just so that we don't accidentally run in and we don't want anyone to get hurt as we're trying to clear that area. We just really appreciate that. Let me send you out with these words from, from Revelation 21. I just love this picture after seeing about the lampstand, this, this menorah in the temple in Christ, the new and the greater lampstand. We have these words. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Because the light has come and will reign over all the earth. Have a blessed week, church.